That consecrative life of which we sing is our goal and heart's desire. So when we turn to Genesis chapter 12, we are going to be surprised. If you haven't visited it for a while, it's there in the front part of your Bible. And it's more of the story of Abraham. In the first ten verses of this chapter, I am delighted and impressed with Abraham. And in the last ten verses, I'm disgusted with him. And I think you will be too after I read this text. Which only proves to us that the Bible's not really about people, it's about God. God is the hero of the Bible. The Bible points us to faith in God. And it keeps its consistent compass on God because if you ever focus on people, you're going to falter and fail and they're going to disappoint you. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter 12. Now, last week I talked about how we were sitting down with Abraham at the banquet hall and wanted to ask him about his call and why it was him and how he responded Well, this week we got some tough questions for Father Abraham, all right? Verse 10 of Genesis 12. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. I think I'd go to Egypt too. The Nile River runs through Egypt. They have a primitive irrigation system. They can grow their crops even when it doesn't rain. Far in the future, all of the descendants of Abraham are going to head down to Egypt again. And Joseph, one of the descendants of Abraham, will be in charge of food distribution in Egypt. It's not very far across that little space. Verse 11. As Abram was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah... I know what a beautiful woman you are. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? I hope you've told your wife what a beautiful woman she is. And that you know it now. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife 
Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. You don't get to pick how your own biography is written. You hope you'll be remembered for all the good things you did, courage you displayed. But it is likely, as with David and Bathsheba and Abraham here in this text, that your failings may be highlighted by your biographer. You don't get to pick the way the story is told. You read this and wonder, what's God doing here? Is he trying to confuse me? I mean, I like Abraham. Abraham's the father of the faithful. We talk about heaven as the bosom of Abraham. We want to go there one day. Jesus said we're going to sit down at the feast with Abraham. You mean this guy? If I was Sarah's dad or brother, I'd be wanting to find a two before to work on this man, wouldn't you? Maybe if there's some way that we could get back into that culture in that time and into Abraham's sandals, this would make sense. So when I sidle up to Abraham, I'm thinking, man, what happened to you? Tell me about this deal down in Egypt when you passed off Sarah as your sister, for heaven's sakes. And Pharaoh took her into his harem. Tell me about that. What were you thinking? What happened to you? Abraham, you disappoint me. I thought better of you than this. You're supposed to be a man of faith. And here you are, afraid. Afraid of how they're going to treat you. That these Egyptians might kill you. I don't know what Abraham has heard about the Egyptians and how they treat people. Maybe he heard that they, they slaughter folks who make it down there from Palestine. Whatever the case may be, he's afraid they're going to kill him so they can have Sarah. And he operates in fear. And because he's afraid, it clouds his judgment. And if I could have you write something down from today's worship, it would be the word fear. And just let you know that when you are operating in fear, that is the opposite of faith. And you're going to say things and do things in fear that you would not do if you were trusting.
And your judgment will be clouded by your fears. Abram does not see the world the way it is right now. He's looking through a prism that skews and twists and twists his vision. He misjudges the Egyptians. He thinks they're going to kill him. Not so. They're not going to kill him for Sarah. When Pharaoh finds out that Sarah is his wife, he sends her back to him and sends them on their way. He misjudges relationships that he has in Egypt. He misjudges the course of action because he is afraid. In my prayer, I quoted John who in his his letter writes, Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Do you know about that? You know about the torment of fear? When you're laying in the bed at night and your world is crashing down around you and you're saying to yourself, it's all going to unravel. Fear has torment. And then John writes, he who fears is not made perfect in love. And it's interesting how he contrasts fear and love. Jesus, our Savior, is prompting us, guiding us, teaching us, growing us to live in love to speak in love, to relate in love, so that the the way we operate in the world is this love which he gives us and has demonstrated to us. That's how he wants us to operate in the world, but we are so tempted and prone to slip back into the old patterns, some that we inherited, some that we observe from people around us, And to live not the transformed life, but that old ragged life. The life of fear and anxiety and distrust. And the followers of Jesus are salt and light in their world only as they learn how to live the love life. Abram's not loving. His wife with this. Paul will later tell us as husbands, this is how you love your wife. You lay down your life for her like Christ laid down his life for the church. That's how you love her. That's what it means to love her. Abram, if you die defending Sarah, it's okay. If Sarah knows that you'd lay down your life for her in a minute, she will give you the respect and trust and honor that such love calls forth. 
But if she suspects that she's just something but somebody to manipulate, a tool to use in a situation, if you're going to treat her like a thing instead of a person, it's hard for her to extend the honor to you. Abram, you disappoint me. You fall into fear. And you fall into dishonesty because of the fear. See, he starts with a spiritual flaw. He's fearful instead of trusting. He's afraid instead of believing. He's supposed to be the father of faith. But he's not acting like that. That's where he starts. It unravels first spiritually. He's not trusting God. He's not walking with God in this instance like he did in the past. And it leads into dishonesty. He's going to tell a lie to protect himself, which is why we lie. We propagate the dishonesty because we think it's better for us. Now, I want you to note the dishonesty which he practices. It's insidious, right? Sarah, I want you to tell the Egyptians that you're my sister. Well, she is his half-sister. Later on, when he pulls this prank again with Abimelech, and Abimelech confronts him about trying to pass off his wife as his sister, Abram actually brings up the fact, well, she is my sister. Which makes his line even worse. Now he looks weaker and more devious and deceptive than at first. Because he's trying to hide as an honest man behind an open lie that hurts his wife and everybody involved. He's distrusting everybody. But he wants to say, oh, I told the truth. You catch this now, all right? It's the half lie. That brings you down. When you weave the tail to put yourself in the good light, so you have the advantage. When you skew the story just a little bit and leave it out for your own self promotion, to buff your reputation and make yourself look better, that's the worst lie of all. Abram, you're not excused because this is a half-truth. You just look more wicked because you're trying to pass yourself off as honest and good when it's not true. The lie, the dishonesty brings you down in a way that nothing else can. See, can you trust anything Abram says? God hates the lie because it destroys your relationships. When we sow the seed of deception, we forfeit 
the trust that relationships require. We tell the lie because we think it is better. But in the end, it is poison. And it poisons not only us, but the people that we're supposed to love. Thou shalt not bear false witness. God told Moses from the mountain, it's one of the big ten. Blessed is the man who tells the truth even to his own hurt. When a woman tells the truth in the workplace and her peers know the truth hurts her, there's a level of respect that rises for that person. To be the person of truth out there in this city is to hold the light of the gospel up. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ and every member of it might be known as truth tellers. In this school, if you want the truth, you talk to Mary, she'll tell you the truth. If you want to know the truth in this business, You talk to George, he'll tell you the truth. To have a reputation like that is to have a reputation like Christ had and to be following in his steps. Abraham, you disappoint me. Didn't God say through you all nations blessed? Didn't God tell you all nations blessed? Didn't you feel a responsibility when you crossed the national boundary to behave in a way that honored your God and was a blessing? Abram, aren't you a missionary out there in your world? Isn't that why God called you from Ur of the Chaldees? Wasn't God trying to send out something positive and good to the whole earth through you? And you tell the lie. You're the one that's dishonest. No, when David was caught in his sin, the prophet confronted him. You know the story. Nathan comes to David. Tells the story of the man who has one lamb. And the man with many stole the lamb. David said, you bring that man here. He was a shepherd. He loved the sheep. We'll deal with him. And Nathan said, thou art the man. You're the man. And David repented when he was confronted by his sin. When he knew the prophet. Knew his sin. And the prophet said, God's forgiven you, but you have given great occasion 
to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. This is a great occasion for people who hate God to publicly disgrace his name, David. And Abram, you've done the same. You came in wearing a mantle of faith. And you give great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And brothers and sisters, feel the weight of your witness in our little world here. Let it be on your shoulders for a moment as you walk up the halls of your school and you go in the break room and you deal with employees. Feel the weight of it, would you? What you do out there is important to what goes on in here. And God sends his light out through you. And if that light is darkness, oh, how deep the darkness is. And to feel the weight of our witness is right and good and true. And we should have that check in our spirit when we're about to do something that may cause a reproach to the name of Jesus. And say to ourselves, no, I'm not going to take his name in vain. I took his name on purpose for good. And I will fulfill my intention no matter what it costs me. We connect our words with our works when we practice honesty and truthfulness. And God uses our witness and multiplies it in the workplace and in all of our social networks as we are people known to speak the truth and live the truth. Pharaoh, you impress me. Abram, you disappoint me. Pharaoh, you impress me. When Abram first says, Pharaoh will kill, kill me if you see Sarah, well, we think this guy Pharaoh must be a pretty, pretty wicked fellow. Now it's revealed that Pharaoh's got better ethics than Abraham. And in this instance, he is more righteous in how he behaves. Maybe it's not so wise to expect the worst of people in the world. Maybe it is better witness, better light, and better salt to expect the best of them. And when they know, as an employee or employee or an employer, that you're expecting the best of them, that those, those kids know you're expecting the best, that you have an expectation that they're just going to do great. When they fail, what will grieve their heart more than anything 
is your disappointment. I had one child that if she knew I was disappointed, it reduced her to tears. No other punishment was necessary. Just that dad was disappointed was enough, you know. That was the worst thing. There's something about the expectation of the best that has at least the potential to lift everybody around you. I don't know if you need to change your expectation. But you ought to think about it. Because what Abraham went into this situation doing was wrong. And proved to be costly to his witness and his family. Pharaoh, you impressed me. You let him go. It's tantamount to forgiveness. You restore him, even though he's been wicked. You send him on his way with all those belongings he accumulated in your country. Sarah, you surprised me. Think about Sarah. James will later use Sarah as an illustration. And Peter will use her. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter to talk about the women of old and how they honored their husbands. Wives, don't you think it'd take a while for you to get over this kind of treatment? You want me to do what? And then she's taken into the harem. I mean, this is tough. He does it again later on. Sarah, you surprised me because you hang in there, sister. And you keep loving this man who's so imperfect and filled with flaws. And you suffer because of his poor judgment. And yet, you stay with him and care for him. And there are wives in this room, I'm sure, who think sometimes, I can make better decisions than this man. He's costing us money. Why do you do these things? And sometimes that happens in marriages. And we suffer from the poor judgment of our spouse. What do you do then? Fundamentally, you don't give in to fear. All right? You can't. You can't operate healthy in your marriage and be fearful. So what you going to do? You cast out fear and you walk in faith. Yeah, but he just tried to pass me off as his sister. 
He put me in a dangerous situation. What do, you, what do you mean faith? I mean faith in God. Not necessarily faith in Abraham. What's fundamental to Abraham and Sarah is faith in God. That starts honoring your husband. Giving him the respect that sometimes you look and wonder if he deserves. It's trusting the God who made you, who loves you, who brought you into being, who called you to himself. And the God you know can enable the promise you made at the altar even years ago. Sarah, do you promise to love, honor, and keep Abram in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth, forsaking all others, keep thee only unto him, so long as you both shall live? I do. How can you make that promise? You make that promise trusting that the God who gives love is the God who protects and enables the promise. That's why you do it in the presence of God. Not just so he can hear, but so he can be part of this covenant that we have, Abraham and me. God's part of this covenant. And though our marriage has taken a mighty blow, I just keep trusting and knowing the God who called me into this relationship is the God who sustains me and enables me in it. Truthfully, the great miracle of marriage is walking with God in mutual trust through the difficulties and valleys and hardships of life and learning how to forgive each other not for bad breath or stinky feet but for dishonesty and deceit and the worst kind of flaws that are in the human spirit learning to forgive not the easy stuff not the quick stuff not the surface stuff but the fundamental flaws of the human being into which you have entered this relationship he's not perfect in fact he's cracked all the way down and so are you your flaws aren't superficial the lipstick doesn't fix the worst part of what's wrong with us. The heart is wicked and deceitful. Above all things, the scripture says, it's out of the heart that these bad things flow. So when we get married, we promise for better or worse because... Whether that spouse is better or whether, whether he's worse, God enables the relationship. And it's trust in him 
that is the healing and the help in every stage of the walk. After all these years, Janet Rose Hamilton knows me better than anybody on the planet. I know her pretty well too. And nothing's more beautiful and peaceful and rewarding than to lay down beside her at night even though she knows me. She loves me. The reward of the covenant is the ability to share life not with the expectation of perfection but with the intention to forgive Abram you disappoint me man Pharaoh you impress me Sarah, you surprised me. God, you changed me. Break the bonds of fear in my life. Help me to learn to live in the confidence that faith gives. Break the bondage of dishonesty in my life. Help me to live with the truth. Lord, help my walk to line up with my talk so I can represent you in the world and bear your name and be the salt and light you called me to be. Let's bow together. I never preach a sermon except there's somebody who's struggling and it feels like a life and death struggle. Somewhere in this mix of faith and love is the help you need to get through. The Spirit of God waits to apply His Word to your situation. God, give your strength, your comfort, and your wisdom. Lord, we look to you. God, we want to be faithful in our time and place. Knowing that Abraham messed up, God, that helps us in one way. Because we know you can use broken people like us to get your work done in the world and that's your miracle that's your mercy that's your grace turn all those things loose in our lives and marriages we pray in Jesus name Amen